0: people today who have heard the gospel prior to the rapture will have no chance for salvation. God will send upon them a deluding influence because they did not respond in faith. But here's the bottom line. Everyone, Jew, Gentile, living in the church age or during the tribulation, everyone needs a Savior because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and we need to flee to Jesus.
1: Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogi, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three in the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, Fleeing the Coming Tribulation. Matthew chapter 24 verse 21 says, For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. God's wrath is seen during the time of the Great Tribulation, and it is his final wake up call for those who have never heard the gospel before. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues. And
0: so when the Antichrist comes back to life, we're told they worship the dragon, that's Satan, because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him. And so it's this miracle that really shakes the foundations of the Christian faith. This fake Christ comes who has had a literal fatal wound but he comes back to life, it's a miracle. Now it's not the miracle of resurrection, it's the miracle of being raised back to life like Lazarus and seven others who died again and went back into the grave and the body they came out in. And so we studied last time Revelation 13, 15 and it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, this false prophet, so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as who do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And so this happens at the midpoint. It's called the abomination of desolation. Now remember, during this first three and a half years, tens of thousands of Jews are converted. 144,000 Jews who are indestructible, they're protected by the seal of God, are missionaries across the world and they are certainly preaching to the Jewish people. In addition, there are two witnesses on the Temple Mount and there is one angel, but really three, who are somehow involved in warning the people that Jesus is Lord. And many will be converted, but not all. Some will still be following this false Messiah. But when he does what he does through his cohort, the false prophet, they will convince that his claim to be Messiah is null and void. Why? Because God said you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. He's an idolater and you cannot be an idolater and claim to be God at the same time. And so while the Jews will scatter across the planet, in 70 AD, and that process will start, God will regather them. And they will think they have the man they've been looking for to lead their nation, to lead them in a way that they can worship in a way that they think is pleasing to God. But when this event happens, with this idol, with this image that supernaturally is given life because Satan can do miracles, He does false wonders, false miracles, Paul says, lying wonders. And Daniel speaks about the wing of abominations. A wing describes an overspreading influence. And so what will happen is he'll have an influence by which the Jews will reject it, but the rest of the world will flock and they will worship him. So again, here's the trigger point. Verse 15, the abomination of desolation. Now that's the sign to flee God's wrath. When you see this sign take place, get out of Dodge. Secondly, there's the way to flee God's wrath. Let's consider the way to flee God's wrath. There's a warning here given in verse 16. When you see the abomination of desolation, then those whom Judea must flee to the mountains. And so again, the event in verse 15, fixes the chronology of the midpoint of the tribulation according to Daniel 9, 27. And so when that event happens, verses 16 to 20 need to be heeded, these warnings that Jesus gives. You are to flee to the Judean hills. Why, because persecution will come upon the Jewish people like they've never seen. You see, when they flee, just by virtue of their fleeing, they're showing they've been converted. Why, because these are new Christians. These are completed Jews. They've never read the New Testament before. They're pouring over the New Testament in this day. They're, they're young believers. They're listening to the words of Jesus. And the fact that they obey the words, they are giving the evidences the fruit that their conversion is real, that they have been changed. And so they are to flee to the Judean hills. And so when that happens, we'll study next time, false prophets are gonna try to lure them out. Because while they cannot take their souls, they can take their lives, and that's what they'll want to do. So notice, verse 17, the warning continues, whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Verse 18, whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. So again, when this abomination takes place, go to the mountains and go quickly. Jesus is underscoring the level of danger. Don't even go back into the house to get your things. Don't go back into the field to get your coat. Run, run for your lives. And Again, God gives us this to study. While it doesn't apply to us in the sense that the church is not here, God gives it to us to study so that we know the future events that will take place but understand this has special application for the Jews. Did you see that little parenthesis in verse 15? There are no like parentheses in Greek, but there's a way to structure grammatically a parenthesis. There's a little one here. Let the reader understand. Or literally, whoever is reading, let him understand. Again, that statement alone, apart from the terminology, he's speaking of Judea, not Dallas. He's speaking of Sabbaths. He's speaking of housetops. He's talking to a Jewish nation. And they're going to be reading this, studying it. Oh, this is what Daniel said. This is what Yeshua said. Verse 19, but whoa. There's a note of sadness here in verse 19. Whoa. To those who are pregnant in those days, who are nursing babies in those days, pregnant, And nursing mothers during the tribulation will have a very difficult time. Why, because you have physical limitations. You can't run quickly with a baby in hand. Neither can you uh, keep running consistently when you're caring for an infant and feeding and nursing them. Verse 20, but pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. Why is that? Because the weather in the winter is rainy. We don't typically go to Jerusalem come late October through uh, the end of March, why? Because it's the rainy season, and it can really rain. In fact, once May comes, from May to September, there's virtually not a drop of rain. None, you don't have to bring an umbrella. (laughs) Kinda nice to plan that way. But when the rainy season comes, the creeks are overflowing, even the Kidron Valley has water flowing through it. And it's difficult to travel. And Jesus recognizes that, and if it happens on a Sabbath, well, those observant Jews who are not converted, they're certainly not gonna help you. Again, this has never literally been fulfilled in the history of the church, but Jesus speaks of it in a very, very real way of these Jewish people. So there's a sign to flee God's wrath, the defilement in the temple. There's a way to flee God's wrath with a sense of great urgency. Third and finally, the motivation to flee God's wrath. Let's think for a moment about the motivation to flee God's wrath. Jesus now gives the reason they should flee so fast. Verse 21, for at that time there will be great tribulation, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will. You see that little word for gar. It means because. In other words, he is giving an explanation for the illustrations and analogies that he just gave. He wants the believing Jews who are in Jerusalem and in Judea to flee, to run, why? Because there will be great tribulation. Now the first half of the tribulation period is still called the tribulation period. It's described that way in Revelation six where you see the sealed judgments but it's also described as the wrath of the lamb in Revelation chapter six. But there's a difference in the tribulation in the first half of the tribulation and the second half. Because what happens in the second half? Well, it's almost beyond belief. And so here's the slide that shows how the trumpet judgments will come. Remember, there are seven seal judgments. You can only open up one seal at a time. We study this when we walk through Revelation. When you come to the seventh seal, you can see all seven trumpets. And in the seventh trumpet are contained seven bowls. And so when the seventh seal is opened, there's silence in heaven for 30 minutes. It's like their breath is taken away. And Jesus said, then there will be great tribulation like we have never ever seen in the history of man. Fast forward, let's take a look at that. Fast forward to Revelation chapter eight. Revelation chapter eight. The seventh seal is broken, which again opens up the seven trumpet judgments. As you read through these chapters, you're gonna discover that there's an explicit cause and effect relationship between the opening of the seventh seal and the introduction to the seven trumpets. Again, it's like all of heaven is holding its breath. Look at chapter 8 in verse 7. The first sounded, meaning the first trumpet. And there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up. And all the green grass was burned up. So here's a judgment on the vegetation. And you need it to live. Verse 8, the second angel sounded. And something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea became blood and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life and a third of the ships were destroyed. Here's a judgment on a third of the sea where it becomes even blood-like and a third of the creatures in the sea are gonna die. Again, because men is obstinately rejecting the revelation they're beginning. The third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. So now all the freshwater rivers, all the freshwater sources, springs, they're polluted, they're undrinkable. Verse 12, the fourth angel sounded and a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck so that a third of them would be darkened and the day would not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way. So the celestial bodies, the planets, the stars and so forth, they're functioning at a diminished rate. And I suppose God is sending a message. Men who love the darkness are gonna live in it a little bit longer. And then we read in chapter 8, in verse 13, an angel cries out, whoa, 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 to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. He's basically saying, if you think this is bad, you haven't seen anything yet. And then the fifth trumpet is sounded. Turn over to Revelation 9, look at verse 2. He opened the bottomless pit and smoke went up out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth and power was given to them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death flees from them. These are the worst of all demons. They are in the abyss. Those demons on that day when Jesus met them in Gadarna said, oh please don't send us into the abyss, send us into the pigs because then they have no ability to function and wage war. They're the worst of all the demons. But God will let them out for a time. And men will want to commit suicide. Maybe they'll take a gun and the demon will take it away. People will seek death, but they won't be able to find it. Revelation 9, verse 13, the sixth trumpet is sounded. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates, and the four angels who've been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they could kill a third of mankind. Then the seventh trumpet is sounded. Revelation eleven fifteen, 15, and we're told the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world, which right now is under Satan's control, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever, which tells you you're almost right at the end. And again, as you can see on this next chart, the church is taken out, peace treaty is signed, Israel's protected, abomination of desolation midpoint, and then the trumpets and the bowls come. Very, very, very few people put the trumpets in the first half, because of the way all of that discourse is structured and how it perfectly lines up with Revelation chapter six. Not to mention the very nature of the trumpet and bowl judgments, mean that the earth cannot survive much longer as these judgments are unfolded. And so, chapter fifteen. It introduces us to the seven golden bowls of wrath. Seven angels are going to pour out these bowls that are also called plagues. Verse one, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last because in them, the wrath of God is, to let- oh, it's finished. So God refers to these bowls as plagues and once again, they're described as the wrath of God and it's chilling. A doctor of Pentecost used to always tell us that the tribulation is like someone turning up a rheostat. As we studied the seal judgments, we saw it affected a a fourth of the earth. We studied just a moment ago the trumpet judgments and repeatedly a third of the earth. Now when you come to the bowl judgment, it affects the entire earth. It's like boom, 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 boom. And then Jesus comes. So again, here's the relationship between the the three, the seal, the trumpets, and the bowls. And here are the seven bowls of wrath as they are delineated. Look at verse two. The first bowl of wrath resulted in, notice, a a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped the image. Again, this sends a message. Antichrist, if he's so great, why can't he heal his followers? His hands are tied. And by the way, it's not like God is up there enjoying this. This is an expression of the mercy of the Lord. Because what we are reading here is absolutely nothing in comparison to what we're going to study in the lake of fire. He's sounding his alarm clock. Get right, repent call on Jesus. Verse 3 tells us the second bowl resulted in the sea becoming, like, bl- becoming blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. Look, billions of people live off of the sea every day. It's their source of food. And now millions of people will have that source eradicated. Man can't live much longer. Verse 4, the third bowl of the wrath of God was poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. Now, every single source of fresh water, whether it's a well in your yard or a river behind your life, the yard or a stream coming through your property, it's all polluted, it's no longer good. You'll run out of bottled water and stored water pretty quickly. You know they say you can go several weeks potentially without food, but on average, most people can only go one week without water. Verse 8, the fourth bowl is poured out where the sun is so hot that it burns men with fire. But instead of repenting, we learn in verse 9, they blaspheme the name of God. In verse 10, we learn of the fifth bowl. We're told then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became darkened and they nod their tongues because of pain. They blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains in their sores and they did not repent of their deeds. You know, sometimes when someone is in intense pain, they they take another part of their body and they create pain there to try to equalize it. People will literally be gnawing their tongues to try to find relief. Then we're told specifically in verse 12 of the sixth bowl of God's wrath, the sixth angel poured out his bowl in the great river the Euphrates and the water was dried up. So that the way would be prepared for the kings of the east. Now we know with certainty that this refers to rulers from the orient. We'll study it a little bit later. Chapter 20 unfolds for it. The Euphrates becomes a superhighway for the armies of the world to march to that plain of Armageddon. Napoleon called it the greatest battlefield in the world. I've stood there many times with people. Then the seventh bowl is poured out. Lightning and thunder in verse 20, and every island fled, and the mountains were not found, and huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men. He's speaking of unbelieving men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. God intends with this judgment not only to punish mankind, but ultimately to prepare the earth for Christ's second coming. So back in our text of Matthew, understand the context of what Jesus is saying when he states here in Matthew 24, 21, for at that time there will be great tribulation, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again, which is why he says in verse 22, unless those days were limited or cut short, No one would survive, but those days will be limited or cut short because of believers who will enter the kingdom. Now, how are we going to apply this passage of Scripture? I want to take my three major points that I gave you that Jesus gave us about this wrath for Israel to flee. And for us, even though we will not be here for this time, if you know Jesus, for us to make some application. Number one, our sign to flee God's wrath is that we are sinful. They're asking for the signs of his return and we'll proceed, well, we have a sign and it's just like staring us in the face and it's that we are sinful. Remember, the purpose of the tribulation is to bring about repentance, not just for the Jews but for the Gentile nations of the world. And it's not exclusively a New Testament doctrine. It's taught throughout the Old Testament. Moses, all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter four, looking at the end of time, wrote, when you, the people of Israel, when you are in distress and all these things have come upon you, in the latter days, again, at the end of time, in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. Jeremiah calls this the time of Jacob's trouble. And he makes this statement right before he unfolds the new covenant, alas, for that day is great, there is none like it, and it is the time of Jacob's distress or tribulation or trouble, depending on your translation, but he, Israel, will be saved from it. Daniel the prophet, almost with identical words that Jesus makes, now at that time Michael, the archangel, The great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise and there will be a time of distress or tribulation such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who's found written in the book, will be rescued. This has never happened in human history. So people who just spiritualize this and say, this all happened by 70 AD, they are abusing and twisting the word of God in order to defend some theological system. Of those saved during the tribulation, John writes these words in John's Revelation 7, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and tribe and peoples in tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb. Remember this gospel of the kingdom shall go to the whole world. That happens in the first half and now he, in chapter seven he's looking at the results of what's been going on during the seal judgments. These are people who are clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hand and they cried out with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Then one of the elders answered saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? And listen to John's response. I said to him, the elder, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now do not forget those people who are saved during this time are those who have never heard the gospel before in clarity and in power. People today who have heard the gospel prior to the rapture will have no chance for salvation. God will send upon them a deluding influence because they did not respond in faith. But here's the bottom line. Everyone, Jew, Gentile, living in the church age or during the tribulation, everyone needs a savior because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and we need to flee to Jesus. Secondly, our only way to flee is God's wrath is through Christ. Our only way to flee God's wrath is through Christ. He just spoke of those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Old Testament folks were saved by their faith in the Messiah who would come. We look back at the Messiah who has come. God has only had one way of salvation. There is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus said it, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Look, if he's not the only way to the Father, then he's no way, because if he says he's the only way and he's not, then he's either a deceiver or he's deceived. That would make him a sinner, and he can save no one. He's not saying I'm the best way or I'm a good way. I'm the only way. Third and finally, our motivation to flee God's wrath is God's justice. God's just wrath is seen during the time of the great tribulation. And again, it's his final wake-up call for those who've never heard the gospel before. But please understand, God is holy. God is just. God cannot overlook sin. God will not overlook one half of one sin I've ever committed. And for God to overlook any sin, he would topple from his throne of holiness and his throne of justice. Your sin will be punished. My sin will be punished. It will either be punished in a substitute, the Lord Jesus, or be punished in your person forever and ever. But I promise you, it will not be overlooked. Call upon Jesus that you might be saved. Father, thank you for these words that we've studied, that our Savior gave us, that you've given us these words that we might be engaged in the greatest rescue mission that one can be entrusted with. Telling men and women and boys and girls how they can be forgiven and have a new life in Jesus Christ. Help us to do it in spite of the mocking and the scoffing and the opposition that it seems to be growing here and throughout the world. Help us to be good stewards of the gospel and help someone even today to recognize that Jesus bore all the wrath that they deserve, that he was raised from the dead proving he was sinless. And if they will simply say, Lord Jesus, save me, you promise in an instant of time they would be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your Son. Help someone to do that. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.
1: If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877 877- 877 787 7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 018. Don't forget that tomorrow Pastor Carl's wife Audrey is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. You can hear more of Audrey's messages on the Search the Scriptures app found on the iTunes and Google Play Store. Also, check out Audrey's podcast, Rare But Real, on Apple. Google and Spotify podcast platforms. You can also listen to her podcast at SearchTheScriptures.org. We hope that you will join us next week as we continue to search the scriptures.